you, you think you want the glory, you think you want to score, but uh, the glory is really in the assist, um, not the goal. I just wanted to serve soldiers and their families. Lord, as long as I still have a carcass and you can use it, then uh, I'm available. Ah, welcome boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, for another edition of the Run the Race podcast, uh, which you can find on uh, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple, where you can uh, go to that little purple microphone on your iPhone, drop down, search for Run the Race, and we'd love for you to write a review, just a couple sentences, good, bad, or ugly. You know, listen, we can we can face the facts here. If you don't like us, you know, let us know. If you really like us, we'd like to hear that as well. So thank you so much. My name is Jason Dennis, talking about fitness and faith on a regular basis here on this podcast. And we have a great guest for you today, talking about both those things. He is uh, was an Army chaplain for a decade, and I'm going to introduce you to him. He's got some deep roots when it comes to uh, faith, the military, and also soccer. And uh, he talks a little bit about a uh, new uh, semi-pro team coming to Columbus, Georgia, where we are here now. And uh, also in, his, uh, in our chat, he talks about the importance of not just scoring goals and getting glory that way, but the importance of the past, helping other people, lifting other people up, helping them succeed. And uh, I just recently had the opportunity to lead a devotional for our serve team at the church I go to, Solid Rock Church here in the Columbus area. And uh, they invited me to, to talk to the group for just five or 10 minutes. And uh, I looked up and, and found a verse in 1 Peter 4, 8. And uh, we, it talks you know, a little bit about service and, and doing for others. It says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. This is in 1 Peter 4, 8. And, you know, Peter definitely knew sin, um, like, like all of us do. You know, uh, he stepped in the boat uh, with Jesus and he said, get away from me, Lord. You know, I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve this. You remember he uh, repeatedly, in fact, three times denounced his allegiance to Jesus uh, when he was being hung on the cross. And, uh, you know, it made me think about um, when we, you know, have that deep love for each other and uh, it covers sins. It's not like, you know, trying to cover up a scandal or uh, trying to cover up something bad that you did. But covering sin, as it talks about in the Bible, is forgiveness. It means the negation of sin's power in human life. Uh, and, and it means you know, God putting the power of sin to death, which he really did on the cross. And uh, Peter calls for us in the church to really have that radical nature of Christ's love. I love that word, radical. So you know, what does it look like for us to allow Christ's love to flow through us to overcome, you know, in those weaknesses or imperfections we have, and, and that forgiveness, and uh, you know, and and helping other people, not putting yourself first, that can be, you know, messy. But that's exactly what Jesus did for us, you know, and He gave up everything. And so, when we forgive others, even when they don't forgive us, you know, that is what true love is. Now to our conversation with uh, retired Major Chris Cairns, who, again, was a chaplain for a decade. He grew up in a military family, in fact, has more than 100 years of unbroken active duty service uh, through his family, all the way back to his great-grandfather, who was in the Civil War. And he has been a part of faith-based nonprofit ministry since 1995 uh, with his wife of 28 years, Elizabeth Hesselink. Um, and uh, they served on staffs of Young Life, the Salvation Army, Alpha USA. He helped to start four churches and a college ministry to the University of Tennessee, 
working with Mercy Ministry Projects in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. And uh, he didn't join the army until age 40, a little later in life. Again, wanted to serve soldiers and their families, dealing with PTSD, suicide ideations, that kind of thing. And uh, But before that, um, he actually was uh, at West Point up in New York, uh, where his father went. And he started attending there, actually was playing soccer for them, and then had a major eye injury he's going to talk about. It led to uh, those injuries redirecting his life. He transferred to Sewanee, which is the University of the South in Tennessee, and he graduated from there with a BA in developing world studies. Now, uh, growing up in, uh, you know, uh, up north and also here in Columbus, Georgia, he uh, played soccer and he ended up uh, coaching soccer a little bit later in life as well. And now he lives in Madison, Alabama, where his last duty station was in the Army Redstone Arsenal. And now, just most more recently, he has uh, is joined the uh, ownership group as an investor in a new uh, soccer team that's going to be coming here to Columbus, Georgia, starting to play next year, 2024. They're part of the National Premier Soccer League, or NPSL, and uh, they're in fact going to be uh, releasing, revealing their new brand uh, team name and logo this Friday here in Columbus, Georgia. Well, I'm delighted to have retired Major Chris Cairns here with us. Uh, thank you so much, uh, sir, for uh, for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, you know, we're going to get into a lot of things you know, related to uh, to soccer and and faith and growing up as an Army brat and um, you know, being a, an Army chaplain. Uh, but first, I wanted to talk to you a little bit, um, Chris, about the you know 106 years of uh, unbroken active duty service among, you know, uh, going dating back to your great grandfather. And this is not just service in the military. You, there's that, there's that faith legacy as well uh, with, uh, I think he was uh, confirmed in a parish in Columbus back in 1850. So tell me about how important that is military and faith wise to have that legacy that dates back, you know, 150 plus years. Well, it's it's really um, incredible. I feel like the non-combatant runt of my family litter because they're all just extraordinary people, um, and I just happen to share DNA with them. Um, but we have uh, a number of officers in the Revolution, uh, the general in charge of the defense of New York uh, City during the War of eighteen twelve. Then my great great grandfather served in the Civil War. Um, and his older brother, the Reverend Douglas, William Douglas Cairns, was the founding rector of Columbus's uh, Episcopal Parish, Trinity, in 1834, uh, and was the first secretary of the Diocese of Georgia when it formed uh, in the mid-19th century. So, um, so having those roots, I feel like we've been unwittingly following our ancestors around, and the Army is who ordered us to Columbus um, because we were supposed to go to Panama from West Point, uh, where I went to elementary school. And that was the year Manuel Noriega flipped his lid. So we ended up uh, at Fort Benning, Georgia. And I learned to say, y'all spin a yarn, slow my speech down a little bit, you know. Much, much different than, uh, than New York, right? Much different than New York. And, uh, but I was learned, I was learned how to speak uh, proper uh, down here in the South. 
Yeah, he's, he's Jordan. Uh, Jordan is pronounced Jordan. Uh, right. Buena, Buena Vista is Buena Vista. All those different things. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, and so um, from that and kind of continuing this military legacy as you know, a retired major and, and um, you know, and and being in the service yourself. Um, how many years did you serve in the Army? Uh, I was just medically retired after 10 years um, on June 13th uh, of this year. And uh, all, all of my injuries uh, date back to uh, starting with soccer. Um, and, you know, I came to the Army at age 40, which is kind of a young man's game. So everything started going snap, crackle, pop from there. Um, so I've had a number of four ankle surgeries, uh, pulmonary embolism that almost killed me, thoracic surgery, spinal cord stimulator implant, and they just fixed my broken back uh, two months ago. So I'm kind of a kind of a carcass, but I keep saying, Lord, if you can use this carcass, um, I can still shoot off at the mouth with what what I've gotten paid for for the last 28 years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and uh, you know, you've um, worked with a lot of nonprofit, different ministries, faith-based organizations. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But mm -hmm. I want to talk about how and why you decided to uh, make that shift to serving soldiers and families as an army chaplain. Uh, such a big job. And soldiers, you hear about so many going through PTSD, families going through so much when they're you know, their wives or husbands are gone for months or even years at a time. So why was that such an important thing for you to to do to, to serve as an Army chaplain? Well, having gone to West Point for a year and having a best man who uh, went straight into the Marine Corps, became a tank commander, um, and with the military family history, chaplains were my pastors growing up. Um, but I had all these friends who were serving who uh, kept trying to get me to come into the military. And I was, you know, off in Mexico or Rwanda or somewhere. Um, and uh, I finally um, paid attention because a friend of mine handed me a book by Nate Self called Two Wars. And it's about uh, the action where he was involved in one of the longest firefights in Afghanistan uh, maybe even the longest fight and and the other war of of coming back and reintegrating into society. And I realized that, you know, with uh, then 18 years of experience in ministry, something I could do, uh, if not necessarily uh, go down range a bunch like the chaplains who made it through both wars for 20 years. But but I could really serve those soldiers coming back from war with my experience and uh, advise commanders about. Uh, how to mitigate against some of the problems that are so common, PTSD being one of them, uh, suicide ideations. Uh, my real axe to grind was occupational burnout, uh, where people are just going too far, too fast for too long um, and suffering from uh, the condition that you're in when you just haven't refreshed your soul and the margins of your life left over by work or there's no margin. Um, so that was kind of what I taught about uh, th through my 10 years in the Army is how to how to refresh your soul, recharge your batteries um, and that sort of thing. So how is, um, you know, um, you know, like you said, the kind of the difference down down south, there's a church on every corner uh, in, in different communities like in Georgia and Alabama. You know, what's the difference between, you know, being a pastor or working at a, a traditional church? 
versus being a chaplain in the army? What are some of the things that you encounter that um, are maybe maybe a lot different? Well, I've always joked that the worst insurgency in the world uh, are the blue-haired ladies in the choir. Um, people see, seem to take out their sideways anger at uh, Little League umpires and uh, their pastors. Uh, but truthfully, I, uh, you know, you get all kinds of people in the army and you're the chaplain to a unit that's full of people who uh, don't believe people who uh, are pagans, people who are um, agnostics, people who are Jewish, people who are Catholic. Uh, and I'm an Anglican minister, which is um, descended from the Church of England. And um, so we, I really see my role as uh, defending their right to the free exercise of their religion. And so my role isn't just to be a sectarian pastor in the chapel, uh, preaching fire and brimstone, which I can do because uh, <laughs> I am a Jesus guy at the end of the day. Um, but what I told my soldiers was, hey, you know, just because I'm a Christian uh, doesn't mean you can't come to me for 100 percent confidential counseling. And uh, if you're willing to take up arms to serve and uh, maybe even sacrifice for my family, right to the free exercise of their religion, you better believe I'm going to have your back. If you need anything from me, um, I am your chaplain, uh, regardless of uh, your faith, your creed, your color. Um, and to me, that's really what uh, the American vision has has been about. We, we don't have a clean history, not even in Columbus, Georgia. Um, but the trajectory that we've been on toward a more perfect union is something that people have sacrificed for in every generation. And we stand on their shoulders and it's ours to steward the freedom that they sacrificed for. Um, so I remind my soldiers of that, uh, of the 30,000 foot view, especially when it gets hard and you're putting one boot in front of the other and nothing seems to make sense. Uh, come see me and I'll, I'll make you feel like a million bucks just about uh, what an extraordinary thing it is to to serve in self-sacrifice on behalf of the nation. Absolutely. We, we thank you and so many others that have, have given so much, you know, for for our freedom. We would definitely never need to forget that. And before I kind of move on to shift to soccer, to the soccer field, um, do you have any any particular stories of, you know, your time as a chaplain when maybe you were especially in danger or something that maybe changed your perspective on what your job was? Well, I think uh, you always get um, leadership constantly coming in and coming out. So every three years, two years, you get uh, kind of a different coalition of people who have to work together. And um, my, my toughest mission was when we rotated away from our families in the first division as the rotational brigade in uh up near the demilitarized zone of south korea um and the it was at the height of the tensions between the trump administration and uh north korea um so it was very tense and people are away away from their families and uh the joke is that if you if you want to become um uh a sergeant the best way to become a sergeant is to go to Korea as a staff sergeant, joke being you get busted down because of something dumb you did in uh, on the train going to Seoul or back. And 
so that that was a rotation where um, in my first unit, we created a buffer against uh, suicide and didn't have any. Um, and in, in this unit, we didn't have any suicides. It, sister units are having suicides. Um, and so I had to talk about nine people uh, away from suicide. Um, mm -hmm. It was a really tough rotation for me because I'm away from my family. And so I've experienced a, a thimble full of what some of our soldiers have experienced uh, over the, their 20 years of service uh, during both wars. Um, and it just really depletes the human soul uh, to serve like that. And so they deserve world-class uh, clergy support. And our chaplains just pour themselves out um, on behalf of uh, soldiers and their families. Uh, and and our, our pithy little phrase in the chaplain corps is, we bring God to soldiers and soldiers to God. Um, and of course, you've probably heard of the saying, there's no atheists in foxholes. Um, so chaplains, chaplains are busy um, in the United States Army, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, um, you were telling me kind of off mic about how, um, you know, injuries uh, may have changed the course of your life, maybe even like that kind of directed you towards being a military chaplain i'm not you know but you played soccer at west point and uh you know injuries and and sewanee the university of south in tennessee and you've i know you've also served as a, a assistant coach at baylor school and red bank high school and so you've had a passion obviously for playing and coaching soccer um you know do you uh, and you 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 were talking to me earlier so tell me a little bit about those injuries and how it maybe redirected uh your your life well, MacArthur, General Douglas MacArthur referred to uh, the um, athletic struggle as the fields of friendly strife. And um, so I've always thought and I've loved sports. My dad was the director of uh, physical education at VMI and uh, the deputy director of physical education at West Point when I was growing up there. So I grew up in Arvin Gym at West Point, uh, running around, rolling around, shooting, shooting buckets. Um, I, uh, I joke with my soldiers, I still have a 40 inch vertical. I just weigh more. So it doesn't take me up as high. Uh, <laughs> That's right. But I, I dunked on Pacelli while I played uh, basketball at Brookstone. Um, and that, that was a lot of, you know, emotional fun, uh, to, to do that to Pacelli, our rival. Um, but I played at West Point and my father went to West Point. His father went to West Point. My uncle, my cousin, um, all went to West Point. And, and so playing division one soccer was my dream. So when West Point's coach called me up, um, and said, Hey, I can get you an appointment to West Point. You have the weekend to think about it. I don't want you to uh, accept the appointment unless you're coming here. Um, and so uh, it was fifth on my list because uh, it's the military academy and I was kind of a hothead. Uh, Max Strong used to call me attitude when I was on his basketball team at Brickstone, uh, Mac being the Seattle Seahawk. Um, so, you know, being in the military, going off to West Point was not something anybody saw in my future um, because I, I I just didn't have the temperament for it. Um, but I scored a goal on a diving header against Princeton and my my career at West Point would have taken off. But 
Princeton's goalkeeper got me in the eye. I had reconstructive eye surgery at Walter Reed in 1991 in my first semester plea beer. Had a patch over one eye when I returned uh, to the barracks and uh, had to go to school until three and then study until midnight and then repeat that while catching up a month of work and making up new work. So by the end of uh, December, I, I was burned out. I didn't know what to call it, but that's precisely what I had done is just expended myself in body, soul, and spirit. Um, and so I called my father, uh, disappointed in myself, and he was really encouraging and just said, hey, look, finish the academic year and I'll support you wherever you want to go. So he was great uh, because he had attended Princeton and hated it. So his father got him an appointment to West Point and he loved it. So um, soccer injuries have redirected my steps uh, more than once. That was the first and uh, obviously met my wife. Elizabeth um, at Swanee. I was kind of lost from my experience at West Point, and she led me back to church. Our first date was in the, the chapel there where we got married two and a half years later. Um, and uh, she was at all my soccer games, and I couldn't, uh, couldn't have uh, been the leading scorer of the conference without her because I always looked up into the stands to make sure she had made it to the game and always scolded her if she was a little bit late. <laughs> <laughs> so she's, she's been an amazing support over the years uh, in ministry. Um, and I started out with young life in um, which was really important to me in Columbus. Um, and most of my dear friends in Columbus are still involved with young life, Buffy and Steve Swinehart um, among others. And, uh, so I, I was on Young Life staff and I was going to the Baylor school and I was looking to build relationships. And what better way to build bridges of trust that can handle the weight of the gospel than uh, teaching and coaching? And so I, I started um, coaching with a fraternity brother uh, from Swanee who was the head coach there. And I, I really enjoy turning Bad News Bears teams around. So uh, I think the JV team had been like one in nine the previous year, and I turned them into an eight and two. Um, so I really enjoy that, taking kind of the B team, uh, the kids that haven't had enough individual attention and and really uh, forming them to be to play as a unit. And it's a great leadership training Um to, to be involved in sports as anybody who's been involved in sports knows. And um, my soccer coach in, at Swanee was like the Phil Jackson of division three soccer. So uh, he, he really taught me the game. Uh, I grew up at Fort Benning playing with Hitch and others uh, just uh, with Latin Americans who were at the school of the Americas, which is now called WinSec where my father was the chief of staff. So we grew up playing Hitch and I grew up playing with Brazilians and Argentinians and Venezuelans and Costa Ricans and Jamaicans, um, just playing two, two on two, three on three with flip flops for goals uh, or whatever we threw out there. So it was just an open field and um, and us having a blast. And we played for hours every day uh, during every summer um, in the heat of Columbus, Georgia, um, where, you know, the humidity and the temperature during the summer are usually the same number in the nineties. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty, and, and you know, American football, while it's the top sport, arguably in America, soccer, 
uh, known in most other places as football is the number one sport in the world. And like you said, you know, Brazilians and the world cup and everything else, it's, it's such a humongous um, thing. And now to have uh, the national premier soccer league in PSL, Columbus, Georgia is now going to have a team, you know, uh, fielded in as part of that as Columbus soccer ventures, you mentioned hitch. Um, you, you said that maybe you're investing in this uh, so that you can um, heckle, the co-founders, John Dale Hester right. and uh, Michael Hitch, Hitchcock. Uh, I so, that, you know, you're putting your money where your mouth cool. is. That's <laughs> right. Um, so tell me about that, about, um, you know, um, being a part of this, you know, investing in it, being one of the, I guess, one of the um, owners, uh, part of the ownership group for this NPSL for Columbus, Georgia, why that's so important to you um because i know like later this week i think they're going to reveal the the branding the what was voted on as what the the team kind of logo and name is going to be yeah i i have been amazed at mike hitchcock's career he went off to virginia commonwealth studied marketing and advertising um then he went to dc united and you know turned their sales force around then he went to colorado rapids uh, turned their sales fo- force around. Uh, then he went to the LA Galaxy. So he he went around the country boosting the sport by filling stadiums. He just knows how to do it. And um, so uh, one of his most recent teams, I've, I've I've bought some of the gear. It's Appalachian um, FC, and it has Sasquatch as the logo. Um, so I I just I think the world of Hitch and his uh, delight at 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 giving that same delight and passion for the game away, uh, which is what a good coach does, and it's what he builds an experience at the stadium with with uh, players and families in mind. And um, so, for Columbus uh, to get an NPSL team at Hitch's direction is just we're really fortunate that that he turned his eye um, uh, at our home city. Um, because soccer is a, a sport that just brings everybody together. And since we started in the 80s, where you couldn't really find good coaches, we had David Flowers, which so we were really fortunate to get him. But um, the 80s was there was a dearth of coaching and uh, it was hard to um, find co- teams to compete against. We had to travel to Atlanta um, and now everybody's daughter has grown up playing soccer and and because of that, everybody's been growing up long enough now that we've got coaches who have played the game and we even have referees that have played the game. Um, so uh, I think it's one of the things I think about soccer and what makes it a great worldwide sport that uh, is an equalizer, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, uh, in terms of the community that you come from, um, you can always uh, – uh, make a ball, make a makeshift ball to kick around. And um, so you don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have a whole lot of equipment uh, to get a game going. And and so that makes it accessible. You also can be as short as Luis Barros, who was like five foot two, um, or Maradona, who was like five foot five. Um, so you don't have to be gargantuan uh, like you do to make it in the NBA or into the NFL. You can be a tiny little person and, um, and be the best on a, on a national team. And so it's a really accessible sport. 
it's definitely a team sport, not an individual sport. Um, and it, it really is fun to see kids catch a vision and a passion uh, for being a selfless player. Yeah, I've, I've been on um, a number of mission trips overseas um, through my church. And um, the very, very first one I went, and this is starting off with a bang, was in Haiti about a year after their massive earthquake. Oh, and wow. um, I remember right outside of our compound, you know, there was tent cities where you had, you know, 900,000 people that were still in the tents. And right outside of our compound, you know, was the, the gravel road and um, kids right out there were playing soccer just you know, randomly in the street had you know, kind of made makeshift goals. And they were playing with this deflated soccer ball. They were playing probably with, I think with flip-flops on and, and just because they love the sport so much, they didn't need to have a new ball. They didn't need to have the, the right shoes. And uh, I think one of our guys that was part of our team gave them some shoes, gave them some soccer balls. And, and, but, um, but to your point, you know, they, just such a passion for it all around the world. And it's that equalizer for any ages, um, any, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of breaks all those barriers. And so what do you hope, you know, that um, this um, NPSL team coming to Columbus, what do you, I mean, because, you know, obviously, you know, Georgia and Columbus football is King, you know, but um, still other sports are growing like, like soccer. So do you hope that it may be, uh, kind of strikes a passion for, you know, for kids, parents, anybody? Well, you know, Dr. James Andrews used to be um, at the Houston Clinic when when we were, Archie Andrews, his son, went to high school with us at Brookstone. And, um, and he has been just uh, pounding away at the idea that we should not be allowing kids to over-specialize when they're growing up. Um, so I think uh, growing up playing soccer will make you a better football player. Um, you know, it'll make you a better athlete. Uh, you'll definitely run more than you do in, in football. And, and I've always, I think it was from shoe back when that cartoon strip was uh, a thing talked about football being the perfect metaphor, uh, American football being the perfect metaphor for American society, because there's endless planning between two intellectuals using pawns uh, to move around the field and there's a 10 second struggle to get somewhere maybe and then there's an endless legal interpretation so that's exactly like American society and um, you know I, I think one of the great things about soccer is that it it's a constantly moving game and so that it keeps kids moving it keeps kids exercising um, you run a lot you get you get your um, 30 to 90 minutes in um, every day and so it, it really helps, uh, whereas basketball and football, they stop a lot, uh, a lot more than soccer does. And so, you know, I think I think it's a great game for everybody to play, even if they end up being a football player or a basketball player. I didn't specialize until I was 14 and was playing for Columbus United. I played everything. I played baseball in the spring. I played tennis in the summer and soccer in the fall or spring, um, basketball in the winter. Um, and it's not just me. I'm just a theologian. It's Dr. A Andrews saying, hey, don't let your kids over specialize. Let them play everything and see what they fall in love with. Um, my father <laughs> never expected me to become a soccer player. Um, and so I didn't pressure my kids to to do anything that, um, you know, they were good at just because they were good at it. I wanted them to have a passion for it. And once you see that passion, you teach them to commit um, 
uh, not just to the sport, but to their teammates. And, uh, you know, speaking of running and soccer, one of the co-founders of the Columbus Soccer Ventures that you're investing in, um, you know, another friend of yours, John Dale Hester, who you played with, um, he, uh, him and I met a few years ago via running because he's, you know, I mean, I think he still plays soccer, maybe some adult leagues, but he's gotten into running, you know, and, and some people, most people don't like running, especially if they're kind of coming out of the military, they've had, they've been forced to run early in the morning or like meeting certain standards. Um, So, um, and, and uh, you know, he, he also talks about trying to get people not just to play soccer, but to watch soccer. And, you know, some people, you know, love to watch football on the weekends and, maybe some baseball um, and, but, you know, um, getting people to watch soccer or come to a, um, a soccer match, you know, um, how, what would you say to folks about, you know, um, maybe that are somewhat interested in the game of soccer to, you know, what that experience is like going to a match versus watching it on TV. There's just absolutely nothing like being in the stands uh, with the excited anticipation of the almost goal the groans, the, you know, it's, it, it really is an incredible experience. Um, I uh, went and saw the Nashville uh, professional team and it was a seven game match and there were two red cards and uh, I took my sons with me and the, the crowd was just um, otherworldly. And, and I think soccer, you know, has that passion. When I was in Guadalajara in 1994, um, doing an internship down there. Um, it was the World Cup in the United States, and Mexico was playing Italy. And I happened to leave the lobby where I was watching the game, and I went out onto the balcony of my hotel room when Mexico tied the game because uh, Italy had been up one to nothing, and the entire city roared. And I'd never heard four million people roaring out their windows because all work had stopped, and and it's one thing to be in a stadium with that kind of passion. It's quite another thing when I, when an entire nation um, is roaring together. It was just an amazing experience. And, and so that's what I think, you know, Hitch has been able to do uh, in all of these stadiums is to give families a whole experience. Uh, it's not just watch about watching the game. It's about being together. Um, obviously, baseball, it's not just about watching the game. It's drinking beer and eating pretzels. Um, or whatever you do when you watch uh, baseball games live. Um, so I think uh, that is what uh, Hitch has really uh, tapped into is is creating an experience uh, from getting out of your car to being in the stands to um, connecting with the community and with youth soccer teams. Um, it's a whole community that you're facilitating um, at one of these games. So I think Columbus getting an NPSL team, it's it's long overdue. They finally have uh, more than one Vietnamese restaurant. So I guess it's time for a, a soccer team as well. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, you know, I'm not sure when the last time you came here, but things have definitely changed over the last 10 to 20 years with a kind of, you know, downtown and the whitewater rafting and, and uh, it seems that the kind of running biking community has continued to grow. So uh, I think, you know, with the, the uh, seems to be a um, kind of an increase in wanting to be healthy and wanting to do things that are not just going to fast food restaurants, you know, those kind of things. Um, and, um, you know, before your involvement 
in something like this, like the NPSL team as an investor, you've invested a lot of your life in, um, you know, faith-based nonprofits. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, Young Life was kind of maybe kind of um, the, the br uh, branch for you. So um, is that something that, uh, you know, you felt like was um, important coming out of school was something that you really wanted to do, had a passion for like faith-based nonprofits? Yeah, no question. I I really when when I lived in Peru at age four and five, I saw real poverty uh, at a very young age, and um, and so I think overseas missions trips. You mentioned that you've been on them. It just changes your perspective so profoundly to come back to the United States, see the the riches of the blessings that God has bestowed on our nation. And it kind of makes you want to be a better steward rather than just blowing this life on yourself um, and on self-focus and, you know, getting money and stuff and power and positional authority and acquiring celebrity as if those things together are the American dream. Uh, I think there's a better way. And the better way is to utilize the resources that you've been given to bless other people. We are blessed to be a blessing. Um, and my parents taught me that they led Bible studies at West Point and VMI uh, for so many years, for so much of the officer corps that I had a guy walk up to me in Korea and say, uh, I know you, you went, he was a major and I was a captain at the time. I know you, you were at your parents' Bible study when I was a cadet at VMI. Um, so I watched my parents give themselves away um, in so much of the margins of their time left over by work. Um, that I really wanted to aim at that. Um, and so I, you know, I hope that there's some way in Columbus that um, the professional soccer team can reach into the underprivileged portions of uh, that community and really create a way for uh, select soccer to be accessible uh, to every kid in, in, in every town where soccer goes. And, you know, in this community as well, Columbus, uh, Fort Benning, which was th was that name for a hundred plus years now, Fort Moore, um, you know, people um, end up kind of uh, being deployed or, or, you know, their their military career takes them to this area and they end up staying here. You know, this is a, a community a lot of folks like to retire in. It's kind of a not too big, not too small or an hour and a half from Atlanta, not too far from the beaches. Um, so, um, you know, for you growing up as an army brat and also seeing those faith leaders in your community, but growing up as an army brat, was that something that you felt like, um, you know, a pressure to like, okay, I need to be in the military or, you know, and, and, or maybe you, maybe you saw what your, you know, what your dad was doing and you said, well, I didn't, I don't want to be in the military. <laughs> well, I think we all try on, uh, sort of the clothes of identity to see what fits. And um, by the time I put on the army uniform, I didn't need it. Um, and I think that was by design. Um, I didn't need rank. I didn't need ribbons. It's just, um, I just wanted to serve soldiers and their families. By the time I was 40, I was really done with a lot of the um, I got to accomplish something. I got to make some, I got to be somebody. And there's a lot of pressure like that in a, in a really accomplished military family um, or any really accomplished family, there's that pressure. Um, and so I really think that, you know, we have to, to get rid of the, a lot of the clothes that don't fit and really become who we've been created to be. Um, that takes a little bit of time, but um 
but growing up an army brat, you know, at Fort Benning in particular, when I watched the movie, we were soldiers, which by the way, um, was the implementation of my great uncle, Major General Cairns's vision for air cavalry. He was the the pioneer of air cavalry in Army aviation and has an airfield named after him at the formerly named Fort Rucker. Um, you know, I, I, I was watching all those scenes, Doughboy Stadium, um, you know, the family praying in my particular bedroom um, in the kind of house that we had at Fort Benning. Um, when he describes uh, the racial tensions of the 1960s and, and gives a soaring vision of what America is really about, um, which is all of us coming together and, um, and making our communities better and uh, making them safer for our kids to grow up in. And, um, and then there's a deleted scene. Uh, if you um, ever had the DVD, you know, we're into streaming now, but there was a deleted scene uh, of, of the chat, the inside of the chapel where we worshiped uh, the historic chapel um, and my dad's office building, which um, used to be the home of the infantry school uh, kind of in the center of things with that Spanish style um, colonial uh, tile roof. Um, that's in the background of Sergeant major Plumley interacting uh, with Sergeant Savage, and I'm a chaplain, so I can't repeat their conversation, but um, it was about the weather. And uh, and so seeing all these scenes and these places and these points of reference, um, and and just before they had chaplains go with the uh, with Mrs. Moore, um, who for whom the fort is also named now, um, she she started that. Um, tradition of not just a telegram saying that your loved one was uh, deceased, but to, to, to plan for it, to have chaplains come to the door. And so now chaplains are assigned um, and it's one of the toughest jobs a chaplain has to go with a non-commissioned officer and um, report to a family that uh, their loved one has given their last full measure uh, in service to the country Um so I think I think the fact that Fort that it's named Fort Moore is just really uh, spectacular. They are spectacular people. Um, they couldn't have chosen a better name um, if they were renaming the fort. Um, so I, I hold Lieutenant General uh, Moore, the late General Moore, and his wife in exceedingly high regard. Yeah, there's there's uh, they, and definitely like you were saying, and not. You know, his heroics on the battlefield, uh, saving lives in Vietnam War and beyond, but also his wife changing the way those death notifications were made and um, not just by taxi cab, you know, and, and by telegram. So um, and uh, for you, you know, um, you talked about you know growing up as an army brat, but you've got, um, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, three kids yourself. Yeah. Um, you've got your uh, youngest sons, um, you know, in high school where your wife teaches, you've got your daughter who's a sophomore at Sanford university studying, maybe she'll, she'll do something in the media studying photojournalism. And then uh -huh. your other son, Will, who is a, a freshman at Sanford. And so he's kind of, he's doing some of that nonprofit stuff we talked about, um, uh, serving a uh, spokesperson for one child, which is in Colorado Springs. They're helping impoverished children. What, what does it mean to you to, kind of, um, you know, pass on some of those, you know, uh, you know, service 
type things to your kids and, 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 t- and telling them the importance of, like you said, serving others, not just yourself. Yeah, I think it, it's really remarkable to see um, your kids grow up. And I've always, it's just I, what I think is a biblical theology that uh, children are uh, a gift that God has given to the world and to himself that are given to, to parents to steward and to help those children co-discover who he created them to be. Uh, not to assume, not to dominate, not to pressure, but to sort of unwrap them like the gifts that they are and help them uh, feel the confidence uh, in who they are to give themselves away to the world in service. Um, and I think that's what it's about, you know, when when Jesus responds to the lawyer's question, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And it's about relationships. It's loving God, loving others, and loving others as though they were self. And with all the passion a selfish person would put into directing um, any blessing like a cul-de-sac of just consuming God's blessings, um, that's supposed to be turned outward to others. And that's what a self has been given to us for. So to see your kids um, catch that passion, I, I told my kids and I've told other parents as I've trained, you know, parents in marriage um, seminars, you know, um, you know, let your kids discover their passion, passion as deci- defined not by the connotation like follow your bliss, but passion is defined as that for which you're willing to suffer to see it to, to fruition, like passion of the Christ. Um, and so our kids are all uh, following Jesus, uh, all directing their, um, their the blessings God has given them, the gifts, the talents, uh, toward the service of others and discovering who they are as people and and to be a co-discoverer on that journey to, you know, if God spoke everybody and everything into existence, uh, as our tradition says, then what he thinks he thought he said may not be what we think we thought we heard. And, um, and so the delight of discovering who you really are, what's truest about you, and the fact that where God whispered uh, gives us a, a sense of meaning and purpose and a source, a path, a destination. Um, And he says in his word that his word goes forth to accomplish that for which he sent it forth and um, it won't return to him void. And that's what we want uh, from, for everybody is like, we don't, um, we don't want to be in in it for ourselves. Um, And it's something we have to sort of relearn in this, uh, narcissistic hedonistic uh culture oh, you got a preacher to preach and i i apologize um, <laughs> that's right bring that fire brimstone see doesn't matter your injuries you still can can speak it you know right. <laughs> and, and and so and speaking of injuries despite all you've been through with your back or, or other parts of your body do you still or maybe have you tried to gone out there and play soccer with your kids or basketball or any other sports and maybe despite the injuries uh, I just, for the first time in a couple of years, um, uh, went out and coached a little bit just on a Saturday uh, with some of my um, son's friends from his uh, select team. Um, and it, it was just, you know, the endorphins released into your body, the the knowledge that you have imparted and um people listening attentively, wanting to learn, like, it's just, 
that fire doesn't go out, um, even if it isn't always uh, fully awake. Uh, I, I love um, just pa- passing off the passion. And, and one of the things one of my coaches taught me is the more you give the ball up, the more you get it back. Um, and there's so many little parables for life like that. Um, you, you think you want the glory, you think you want to score, but uh, the glory is really in the assist, um, not the goal. To have set somebody else up to succeed um, is really the goal. So, yeah, well, assists are always. I mean, they're in 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 uh, soccer or football, as it's known around the world. Um, is is that that's like just as important. It's like hockey. It's just as important as as the goal. And I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel fan and, and Dean Smith, um, you know, he taught his teams, every player, Michael Jordan included, to point at the passer, point at the passer, always, always point them out. And, you know, I was going to say that, like, I think that you can maybe have a bigger influence as a coach if you wore your eye patch, you know, that yeah, I mean, you no could be question. like you, you'd be, you know, uh, intimidating, right? <laughs> yeah, m- most people don't remember my name from my time at West Point, but they they do remember that guy who was wearing a black patch over his eye. And, you know, I was in the best shape of my life back then, wearing a patch over my eye, wearing battle dress uniform. So I was pretty intimidating looking in those days. And in the back of the uh, 92 Howitzer, which is the yearbook of West Point, um, in the Protestant Chapel Choir, it's like finding a Where's Waldo to find the guy with the patch uh, on his eye in the, the Protestant Chapel Choir. It's, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, if you look real carefully, you can see that uh, I still have scar tissue. Uh, my left eye is a little more closed than my right eye. And I had to get a waiver, um, medical waiver to come into the Army as a chaplain. But uh but thank God I can still see out of that eye and it's still correctable. And, uh, you know, like I said, Lord, as long as I still have a carcass and you can use it, then uh, I'm available. So, yeah, well, that's that's a, that's a good attitude to have. And, you know, uh, and uh, uh, retired major uh, Carnes, Cairns, um, if you can, uh, what I usually do at the end of the podcast is I close it in prayer and I'd be honored for you to to pray us out if you don't mind. Absolutely. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for this opportunity to to be with Jason virtually and to talk about these important matters about um, life and fun and sport. Uh, We pray for our nation. We pray for our nation's kids, especially the kind of kids that come to these games. Uh, And I just pray that you would uh, give them Uh, your protection, that you would be their father and they would be your children and you would teach them uh, how to be a a selfless person in this world. And we pray for our nation and, of course, what's happening in the international community and our soldiers, airmen, sailors and Marines um, who guard and protect us and the Coast Guard that protects our borders and the Border Patrol. Um, We just pray, Lord, that you would... uh, thwart your enemy um, in designing this disaster um, and and just give us peace. Peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. As President Reagan said, uh, we'll sacrifice for it, we'll negotiate for it, but we will not surrender for it ever because we are Americans. We ask for your blessing, but only so that we can be a blessing to others. 
And it's in the name of the one who was and is and is to come that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much. And uh, even though you're retired from the army, you seem to be traveling a lot, I guess. Uh, what, are you uh, involved in conferences or speaking or different things? Yeah, because uh, I'm a 100% disabled veteran, um, I am in uh, a lot of chronic pain at all times. So my bandwidth is a little smaller than it used to be. Um, but because I'm sort of taxpayer subsidized as a disabled veteran, um, I'm able to do some things that I might not otherwise be able to do. And and so I'm, I'm a paid spokesman for One Child, which uh, has development projects in the developing world. Um, it's child sponsorship, but it's sort of next generation, post-paternalistic, post-colonial child sponsorship, uh, where there's clinics and schools and uh, a church, and you have parish-to-parish relationships. Uh, so it's it's uh, our resources, but through local leadership and sustainable development, which happens to have been my major in college at Swanee. Um, so that is my passion, developing communities that are sustainable and economically viable. Um, if it's water that they need, let's figure that out and make it happen. Yeah. Still, still able to use your degree and your carcass while you, while you still have it. Right? Right. <laughs> and your, your trip to Haiti reminded me that uh, after that earthquake, um, they were having trouble getting just water in because they canceled all the flights. And, uh, and so I was in relationship to the provision foundation at, in Knoxville, they had a heart for Haiti, but they couldn't, um, there wasn't any non-corrupt infrastructure to get basic necessities. And I said, well, I, I know a guy, uh, sort of like my man in Havana. Um, but the Anglican church in Haiti became a way of distributing basic necessities. So we just, uh, sent those necessities on uh, private airplanes funded by the ProVision Foundation. The owner the or the inventor of the PET scan is the evangelical, uh, wonderful Christian man um, who gives to in, incredible things all over the world. Um, and so we were able to get water to, to Haitians that needed it uh, right after that earthquake. So, um, so just, <laughs> I'm, I've been accused that I'm the Forrest Gump of, my denomination. Um, I, I'm never the important person in the room, but I'm always there. Hey, in the back. Uh, <laughs> and, hey, you, you, should, you should know some, you should know this person. I need to connect you with that person. So I'm a connector and a couple of the investors, um, uh, the other investors I connected, uh, reconnected with Hitch because I was connected to them. So so that's a thrill to to get to set other people up to succeed. I love, 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 love doing that. And especially children who wouldn't otherwise have access to a life trajectory. Um, it's just when, when you get addicted to serving other people, you just can't go back. Um, it's, it's, it's a great life. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great healthy addiction to have. And I'm sure Hitch and John Dale, they were like, well, I know a guy. So they, you know, they, they're like, well, we just, we'll, just, we'll talk to old uh, Chris Cairns and get him to, uh, to be a part of this. Well, I'll tell you what, every time I see uh, Hitch on social media, he's got like an umbrella in his drink and he's in the Caribbean somewhere. And I'm like, hey, don't, doesn't your organization need a chaplain? And 
because you don't know how true that is. Um, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, we wish uh, we wish you all the best, and you and your family, your your three kids, as they discover what their life mission is going to be. And with the NPSL team in Columbus, I'm sure it's going to do great. And looking forward to hearing more about that. So uh, thank you so much uh, for your time, Major. I'll I'll be the one in the stands in Columbus yelling at the ref. There you go. (laughs) All right. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Blessings. Take care.